Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. Delighted to have you back again with us as we continue our study of the book of Genesis. This week, we are on lesson number 10, looking at Jacob Israel. And we're delighted to have back with us again our guest, Dr. Philip Saman, professor at Southern Adventist University, professor at the Theological Seminary at Andrews University, author of many, many books, and editor, former editor of the Sabbath School Quarterly as well. So you've you've been a lot of places, you've done a lot of things, and we're delighted to have you here Thank you. sharing your insights on the book of Genesis. So let's take a look at Jacob Israel here. This is week number 10. The memory verse is very, very interesting. It's one that I think many people have probably come across before. I expect you've probably come across it before. But let's take a look at it. It is in the book of Genesis, chapter 32, verse number 28. And it says, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So there is this very famous name change of Jacob. Jacob has been one way, and now through this struggle, he is a different person, or it's recognized that he is a different person. What's the significance of this struggle and of this name change? And if we read, Eric, if you allow me to read the two verses before, to see it in context. In verse 26, and he said, let me go. Who said that? The angel of the Lord, Jesus. Let me go. Asking, can you imagine asking Jacob for permission? I got to go now. I have other business to do. For the day breaks. But he said, That's Jacob. I will not let you go unless you bless me. We have a wonderful God. Like he reasons with us. He wants to go. We say, you cannot go. You cannot leave me here. I get to have blessing from you. So he said to him, what's your name? I mean, didn't God know (laughs) Jacob's name? One would hope he knew his name. Otherwise, what's he fighting with him for if he doesn't know who he is? But he he went to emphasize the, the change in his character for the future. What's your name? Well, he says, Jacob. What else you want to know? And then he said, your name, Jacob, shall not be any longer Jacob, but it will change to Israel. What's the rationale for that? Because you have struggled with God and men, and you have prevailed. Well, I mean, he struggled. What men did he struggle with? With human beings. Oh, there's a lot of struggles in his life with humanity. But you know, it's something else to struggle with God. I mean, to wrestle with God. Not just struggle, to wrestle hand-to-hand combat. I mean, how does it make you feel that God allows us to wrestle with the Almighty God? And you look at Jacob when he was struggling with this this antagonist. Jacob didn't know he, who he was struggling with to begin with. He figured it was maybe his, his brother, one of his brother's soldiers. He was... He wasn't, he wasn't thumb wrestling with this guy. He was afraid for his life. So you can expect he was putting every ounce of his strength, every ounce of his being into this because he figured his life was on the line. And yet, I suppose to some extent it was his future, but God, God gave him a new name. What are the significance of the names here? Well, Jacob, supplanter, usurper, a thief, so to speak. Now, God had his way to give him the birthright, but again, he took his own way. You know, just like his relatives, like Abraham. 
I mean, they want to have their own way. The problem of humanity is, you know, we're impatient with God, and we want to do things our way. It doesn't work. You know, Eve wanted to do things her way. It didn't work. And so, and so Israel means victor with God. Victor with who? With God. There is no victory without God. But Jacob alone, his, 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 the meaning of his name meant supplanter, a thief. All of us are robbers without Jesus. All of us have this character defect, but with Jesus we become victors. And so I want to use these two words. Jacob implies um, feeling like he was a victim. Oh, he felt guilty all his life. And he knew God was responding to this feeling of guilt. And it seemed like he never experienced full forgiveness. But now he was going to be victor with Jesus. And God wants us to be all victors. He doesn't want us to feel, to feel victims, to suffer and wallow in our past. He wants to give us a new start, but only with Jesus. So we can have a rough past. We, we, maybe you came from the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe you've come from a, a dysfunctional family. Maybe uh, your family doesn't, isn't as financially stable as perhaps others might be. That doesn't have to be where we stay, though. God can take us from a, a less than ideal situation and he can, he can build us into something else. That's why Paul describes us as new creation in Jesus. He wants to give us a new start. He wants us to put the past aside. Many Christians wallow in the past, but there's nothing we can do about the past. And here Jesus offering the solution. You can be a victor from now on because of me. I'll make you a victor. Uh, I mean, can you imagine Jacob? At some point, he realized he was wrestling with somebody very powerful. When you wrestle with God, you feel the power. And then he realized it was not somebody human, somebody divine, in human form. And Jacob said, I will, look, now I'm wrestling with God. Now is my chance to get the blessing I need before I see my brother Esau. That's why I said, I insist, you cannot leave me until you bless me. Can you imagine the relationship Jesus wants to have with us? The Almighty God allows himself to wrestle with us and to be told what to do by us. Don't leave. The sovereign God is told not to leave. Why? Because I want a blessing. And Eric, what was the blessing? Be careful what blessing you asked for. What blessing did he receive from God? Well, the blessing that he received among probably several others was a dislocated hip. I mean, that's, that's not the Faithful. blessing. Yeah, that's not the blessing that I want. I'm, typically, you probably don't go to God and say, oh, God, could you please dislocate my hip? Could you please make my life uh, unbearably miserable? But sometimes that's, that's the form that blessings take. We don't expect it. We don't anticipate it. But good did come out of it. In this case, why was the brokenness of Jacob the precise blessing he needed as he faced Esau? It was part of his past. It was what he, where he had been. And now God's bringing him forward. And then it really impressed and touched the heart of his brother. For this man coming toward him after he gave him all these gifts, after all his wives and children marched forward at the very end, he says he was limping. And you know, and, and the heart of Esau was touched. He was so humble. Humility is the best blessing. And you know something? 
I, I, by now, at my age, and I, at your age as well, even though you're younger than me, you can tell if somebody is broken. You know why? Because they come across humble, not arrogant. You know, people who feel overconfident. I, I, I'm on top of the world, you know. You can tell that attitude, even among ministers. But somebody who's been broken in the rock of Jesus, you can also tell they're humble, they are grateful, they are loving, uh, caring. And, and I, think, I think of this verse here. I think of uh, a verse I have in Luke 20, verse 18. Very important verse. Have we been broken on the rock of Jesus? Because he gives us two choices there. He says, I'm the rock. Jesus is the rock. He said, you have two choices. By the way, all of us have to decide about Jesus. There is no exception. Everybody has to decide about Jesus. He said, but you have two choices. Either you fall on me in repentance, in humility, and you might, and you'll be bruised. Or if you don't want to fall on me, if you choose to go against me, then you have to face the rock in judgment, where the rock will fall on you. And so, so our, our plea for the people listening to us here and for ourselves, why not, why not fall on Jesus in repentance right now? Just bruising, it's worth salvation. Why wait till we cry out and say rocks fall on us and hide us from this rock that is um, cut without human hands that we have to face in judgment? You know, if, if we never face any difficulties, any challenges in life, we really don't know that we need Jesus. We, we figure that we are rich and increased in goods and have no need and Ultimately, we don't realize that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But when we, when we face challenges in life, that's when we realize our need of Jesus. And, and here, Jacob is struggling with Jesus and, and realizes his real need. His real need, his ardent desire to be forgiven, to know he's right with God before, before he faced his death decree. Now, what happened? As he was approaching his brother Esau, who was who who wanted to exact revenge, and revenge is a part of that culture. After twenty years, he went to kill him. Four hundred armed men. Jacob had no; he just had a bunch of children and cattle, and he didn't have an army. But what happened? As he approached his brother, revengeful brother, he bowed seven times. That's a lot of times. That's a perfect now, perfect time for bowing before your enemy. Why? Because his father pronounced, when he deceived his father, when he gave him the birthright, he pronounced seven blessings upon him. And he was telling his brother, I, I, I'm willing to give you all these seven blessings back. And before he was humble with his brother, he was humble with God. Before that, he said, I don't deserve your blessings. I mean, I'm not worthy of your blessings. Humility before God, which led to humility before his brother. So God was preparing him for that meeting that he was going to have with his brother. I don't think Jacob expected or realized the blessing that God gave him with that injury. But it was a blessing that allowed Esau to have compassion. I guess we could put it that way. On his brother. Do you think, Susan, go ahead. No, please. Do you think that some of us 
might be facing some brokenness and we are tempted to complain about it. How do you think we can, we can help ourselves and our people to understand this brokenness is a very blessing we need? I think when we look at the story of Jacob and we look at the story of so many other people in the Bible, it can give us encouragement in the situation that we may happen to find ourselves in. I, I think of a friend of mine from years ago who was injured in a sawmill accident and broke his shoulder. And he was laid up for a long, long time. But that time gave him opportunity to study the Bible and to draw close with Jesus, whom he had left a long time ago or, or not drawn as close to a long time ago. So sometimes the challenges that we face in life are indeed blessings in disguise. That was exactly what happened to Jacob, Israel, and it's what happens to people day in and day out in this world as well. So don't lose hope, don't lose encouragement if you are facing some challenges in life. And just a reminder, if you have not yet already done so, be sure to pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson on the book of Genesis by author Jacques Ducan. It will be a blessing as you continue to dive into this quarter's lessons. We're going to come back in just a moment with Dr. Saman once again as we continue looking at the story of Jacob Israel. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. Itiswritten.study Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. It is written dot study. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800 800- 253-3000 or you could visit us online at itiswritten.com More and more people are watching It Is Written TV They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs listening to inspiring sermon series and much more They're watching them here here and even here See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're continuing our study here of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. You know, Dr. Saman, a few minutes ago, we were talking about how Jacob, when he approached Esau was he made some preparations that he hoped would soften Esau's heart. 
And Esau had an intent when he first came to meet Jacob, but his intent changed over time. Draw, draw a little bit more out of that, if you would. Well, his, his original intention was to kill him. He uh, came out with 400 men. Yeah, 400 men ready to kill. And, and Genesis tells us that. It's a fact. But after he saw his brother so humble, what happened? The result of this encounter was, instead of killing him, he kissed him. He kissed him. <laughs> what a contrast. It's a, a change of two letters, but a significant meaning. Right, killing and kissing. Now then, this in the Middle Eastern culture, kissing and weeping is a sign of true forgiveness and reconciliation. It doesn't this remind us, you know, Joseph, talk about the same family here, his brothers didn't like him. And they wanted to do what? To kill, kill him. him. I mean, that was their intention. But then... They sold him as a slave to Egypt, and he became second in command of Egypt, and God blessed him greatly, and he brought his family, his brothers, who were ready to kill him, to live, to survive, to be sustained by the abundance of food. And at the very end, when Jacob died, and they thought, oh, now our brother is going to exact revenge. He's going to kill us, and he has the power to do it. He said, no. He approached him and he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to give you life, not death, life. And he approached him and he kissed him and he wept as he hugged them on, on their necks. He wept, shed tears. That's an interesting comparison, how God can turn bad things into good things. It's a, a powerful parallel between those two stories mm -hmm. and, and a very real application to our lives today. It's like a, a family trait. You know how you see this repeated over and over again. Yeah, well, at least the latter part of that family trait we think is a pretty good, was one. good the, one. The kissing part, anyway. And it was good for Joseph, providentially, to leave this dysfunctional family. If he stayed there, I don't know what would have happened. He would have had, you know, this agreement with the brother. God took him away to Egypt, brand new place, to establish his relationship with God and to be able to minister to this whole family. And the, the journey there, there were some challenging uh, periods, episodes in that journey, but God brought him through the challenging times, and blessed him in the end. Absolutely. You were talking about Jacob here, and it would probably be remiss if we would be remiss if we did not talk about the time of Jacob's trouble. Mm -hmm. it, is a, it is a phrase that we hear kind of tossed about here and there, the time of Jacob's trouble. What is that time of Jacob's trouble? How does it, how does it weave in with what we've been studying uh, in, in this story, and, and what is this timeline of events look like at the very end of time. Where does the time of Jacob's trouble fit? You know, people hear about the trouble part, Jacob's time of trouble, and they become troubled themselves. Often do. <laughs> but remember, I mean, I know a preacher at camp meeting, every evening he talked about the time of trouble. He never talked about Jesus. Focus on the time of trouble. What happened? People left all troubled. But but they forget Jacob's time of trouble included the presence of Jesus. It was trouble, yes, a great time, but it was with Jesus. I don't mind talking about the time of trouble as long as we focus on Jesus leading us through the time of trouble. That's the only way. And so, and the and the background for that is Jeremiah 30, verse 5 and 7. Jeremiah alluded to Jacob's time of trouble. And I'd like to read something, if you don't mind. Do you mind if I I'll read go something? Go right ahead. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, 
I have it from my book. Do you mind if I read from Get my book? A little plug from your own I, book. I, I don't want to introduce my you'll, book. You'll I, appreciate the book if you would like to find it uh, yes. by Dr. Philip Saman. Yes. Well, I have here a working chart of last day events because I want to fit Jacob's time of trouble with what's before and after. So I'm looking at the middle of the chart. It says here, the sealing of the saints, the close of probation before Jacob's time of trouble, and then the great time of trouble. So Jacob's time of trouble comes in the midst of the great time of trouble. Then you have the seven last plagues and you have the death decree. And we see death decree in, in, uh, in, in the life of, uh, of Jacob. And then 10, Jacob's time of trouble. And now I like to read a paragraph. And that is from the book, The Week Controversy, page 621. Those who are unwilling to deny self, like Jacob did, to agonize before God, to pray long and earnestly for his blessing, will not obtain it. Wrestling with God, that applies to us today. Like Jacob, wrestling with God. How few know what it is. How few have ever had their souls drawn out after God with intensity of desire until every power is on the stretch. When waves of despair, which no language can express, sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promise of God. At that time, no family or friends to defend us, no work appointments to divert us, and no props to uphold us, but only God to deal with us, then we will be thoroughly convinced that our real help is found only in God and no one else, and that there is no way we would want to part with him. Fantastic. Well, that's something that we certainly want to be a part of is that final remnant. And now we've got some ideas of how we can indeed be a part of it. Powerful stuff. Tuesday's lesson, we get to a what we might call an unsavory portion of uh, of this week's study, and it's called the violation of Dina. In in short, I don't know how in depth we want to go into this, but in short, what happened to Dina, and what happened as a result of what happened to Dina? Well, Dina, from Jake's marriage to Leah, was beautiful and young that she herself holds some responsibility for venturing and becoming vulnerable into among the heathens. I mean, I, I blame Shechem for most of the problem, okay? Now then, um, following their culture, Simon and Levi, two brothers, again, from Leah, they want to protect their sister and the honor of their sister. And so in that culture, you're willing to kill to protect the honor of a sister. And so here, they were so adamant about following all the um, legalities of that culture, like they, they followed the law, but not the spirit. And so therefore, it caused them to go overboard, not just to kill Shechem, who was the guilty party, but all the men, by tricking them into being circumcised because they're willing to repent, they're willing to be circumcised, they're willing to make amends, any amends. And here they took advantage of that and used a sacred symbol of God's covenant with his people to use it as a trick to deceive this man and came with two swords, two 
Simon and Levi and killed all of them. A horrible tragedy. Poor decisions made over and over again by, by multiple people. And a city of, of men who was wiped out just because of, well, hatred and, and just unsavory choices. I guess we'll put it that way. What about Jacob's reaction to this? Very what, what, interesting. Very what happens, reaction. what does he do or not do as a result of this? Well, he, he cared. His priority was, how can we be safe in a foreign land? I mean, his focus wasn't on, oh, poor Dina, she was violated. He said nothing about it. He had no reaction. And I don't know why. And I, maybe it was because she was from Leah. Okay? I don't know. But then also, he had no reaction for all these men being killed and tricked. The only thing he talked about in both incidents were like, how are we going to survive here? How are we going to have peace? And that was one reason when he moved to Bethel to get away from future trouble. I, I, I would have wished that Jake would have showed some sympathy for Dina and for all these men being killed. Maybe he did in his heart, but the record doesn't show us that. So it was more self-preservation and, mm-hmm. and how can I take care of me and what's left. And that, you know, I mean, he gets that. I'm sure he gets that from who? From Abraham. Because in Egypt, he went to preserve himself. He didn't uh, worry too much about Sarah's safety. You know, he just let, let the king have her. And he said, I want to make sure I'm okay. What we're seeing here in these stories is Abraham was imperfect. Jacob was imperfect. Uh, I'm going to make an assumption here and correct me if I'm wrong. You may be imperfect. I know that I'm imperfect. Can God still work? through people like us, maybe maybe you're imperfect. And again, I, I know I'm, I'm going out on a limb here. There are imperfect people in the world. Can God still work his will through imperfect people? You're 100% correct, Eric. The only person who's perfect in this world is Jesus. We're all imperfect in one way or the other, but God can use that imperfection to help us be perfect in his perfection. That's, that is absolutely encouraging. So dysfunctional families. We've been spending a bit of time in the book of of Genesis looking at dysfunctional families. We've got dysfunctional families with uh, with Reuben, with Bilha, uh, Benjamin. It's there's this dynamic that's imperfect in the family, and there's competition, one-upsmanship, if you want to call it that. Yeah, it's a bit of a mess. Like you mentioned before about nobody is perfect. And you're right about it. Only Christ is perfect. And this plagued the human race from Adam and Eve. Adam blamed his wife for his disobedience. And it continues all the way to Abraham and Jacob and even till today. So even though there is not a perfect person, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, the good news is, even through the stories of Adam and Eve and Abraham and Jacob, God works through imperfect vessels to show the world a perfect Jesus. And that's what he gives you and me the opportunity to do as well. Thanks for joining us again this week on Sabbath School. We'll be back again next week as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis and learning the beautiful lessons about Jesus that we can apply to our lives today. God bless you. We'll see you then.